SMS SAFM now on 41391. Late Night Conversations with Patricia Anduli, Monday to Thursday, 10 p.m. till midnight. I'd like to welcome our first A-team guest uh, because right now we are going to be getting into the episode of Civic Education, which is proudly brought to you by SABC Radio Education at SFM in partnership with Government Employees Pension Fund, Enriching Minds, Enriching Lives. Uh, Tracy, um, who is uh, the client liaison uh, officer at the Government Employees Pension Fund, is joining us. Tracy Peters, thank you very much for joining us this evening. Thank you, Patricia. Thank you for having me. Good evening. So today we're focusing on a spousal pension of the GPF. A spouse or a life partner um, will continue to receive spousal pension even if they marry another person. However, when they die, the new partner will not receive the spousal pension because neither of the two persons is a main member or pensioner. In the event that the late spouse had more than one surviving customary spouse the gpf will divide the benefits amongst the spouse and uh, that's why you're here tracy tell us what is the spousal pension it sounds like something that every spouse would like to be a beneficiary of thank you thanks patricia thanks for the question all right so basically spouse's pension is paid to the spouse of a, of a member who was a pensioner. So if the main member, the contributing member, passes away, um, the remaining spouse would receive the pension. And what do we, um, who do we equate as a spouse? It would be someone who was uh, married either civilly, customary, um, and then, or if you were the person's life partner. And then we also do recognize marriages by religious tenets, which is typically your Hindu or Muslim marriages. Mm. So that is that is how we we, we um, would qualify the person as a spouse, and I just have to note as well that if you have a if you are married civilly, um, you cannot have a life partner. So as if you are married customarily, you cannot have a life partner as well. They are classified differently. Now, Tracy, tell us when was this initiation uh, done by the GPF, and why was it done so? When was the initiation? As long as, as far as I know, pen, as far as pensions has been paid, if you're a member of the GPF, since the GPF has been established, um, which was in 1996. All right. And the reason for that is government uh, uh, undertook a, a decision to take care of the spouse of a main member. Right. So if a main member passes away, we know it's it's often the case that that main member was the, was the breadwinner, was the only income in the household. So then when the main member passes away, we would then pay either the 50% or 75%. We do have two options currently to the surviving spouse. And the reason for that is, is that it's an additional benefit. So I know sometimes people um, wonder about the, the contributions and where the interest goes. So this is also um, something I have to mention. It's an additional benefit. It's an added benefit if you are a member of the GPS. 
additional benefit if you're a member of the GPF. Now, A-teamers, um, remember we are talking about the spousal pension from the Government Employees Pension Fund, which is the GPF. Please do call in, interact and ask your questions. Um, Tracy uh, Peters is a client liaison officer at GPF and she's here to answer your calls. The number to dial is 011-714-2006 or you can uh, SMS on 41391. WhatsApps go to 614 107. Now, uh, Tracy, what are the qualifying criterias for a person to be able to claim for spousal pension? The qualifying criteria, thank you, Patricia, would be if a main member has passed away, it would be either the lawful husband or wife, so you would have to produce a marriage certificate. Um, if you were a life partner, and that also includes um, same-sex partners, we do recognize those as well, um, it would be someone who, in that instance, if it's a life partner, you would have to, have to then produce um, certain documentation and, and proof to us um, in order for you to qualify as a, as a life partner. And then also marriages by religious tenets, it would be... Um, uh, certificates that that was issued by the judicial council. Let's paint a scenario here, um, and we know that this is a scenario that is very probable in uh, South Africa. So there's one spouse who's under customary uh, marriage and customary law, and the other spouse has been told so but does not um, have all the documentation. What will then happen to the pension? Will it be split between the two equally, or will both you know, get a certain amount? Patricia, what happens in that instance is if a, a spouse or someone claims to be a spouse under the Customary Marriages Act, um, they have to produce the necessary proof. So that would typically be your um, labola letter. And then in the labola letter, you need to, the information that we would look at is that um, the date of the, of the, the, the marriage, um, the time, the place, the amount of labola that was paid, and then obviously witnesses as well. In the absence of that, we are then um, unable to qualify that person as a, um, a spouse to the to the deceased. Not unless we, we, we and, and it would not always be all that information necessarily, but we need at least um, some sort of proof say that there was a ceremony that took place, there was negotiations that took place, there was a bola that was paid, and if there are persons that, that attended that specific meeting or ceremony, are they able to then um, provide us with something in writing? So if, if they do, if there is more than one spouse, uh, Patricia, the, the pension is then divided equally amongst those two, two spouses, or if there is more than two. Now, you were talking about the Libola negotiation letter or um, uh, the, 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 the proof of people who were witnesses there. After the break, Tracy, I'd like us to talk about the documents that any spouse, whether it's customary or it is, it is you know, legal marriage, whatever it may be, what spouses need as documentation to claim for spousal and annuity. This will do after the break. A-teamers, the time now is 20 minutes after 10. We'll come back and uh, continue our conversation with uh, Tracy Peters, who's client liaison officer um, at uh, the GPF. We're speaking spousal pension. So please do call in on 011-714-2006. Tweet at SFM Radio and at Patricia N. Dooley. 
We are speaking to Tracy Peters, who's client liaison officer at the Government Employees Pension Fund, and we're looking at the spousal pension. And um, if you are a spouse to someone who's part of the GPF, please do call in. Or if you are a member of the GPF and you want some clarity around the spousal pension, you can also call in on 011-714-2006 or WhatsApp on 0614-104-107. Now, before the break, I was asking Tracy about the documentation required uh, to claim for any spouse um, for the spousal annuity. Tracy, you can take this. Thank you so much, Patricia. So firstly, we would start off with the document that we require for you to apply, which is called the Z143. And that, that document is available on our website. And together with that, we would then need proof of the marriage, whichever type of marriage it is, whether it's a customary marriage. In that instance, we would require the labola letter. In the absence of a labola letter, we would then require affidavits from both sides of, of the families to confirm that a labola took place. And then in that labola letter, we would need the time, the date, the place, the amount, and then the witnesses as well. And then for a... Um, a normal, I wouldn't say normal, but then a um, civil marriage, we require a marriage certificate, which is then um, issued by Home Affairs. Um, in the instance of someone applying as a life partner, we have an application on our website, which is called the Life Partner Application Form. And um, the advantages of this is, is if a member is in service, while he or she is still in service, and they are living with someone as if that person is their spouse, whether it is someone of the same sex or the opposite sex, they are allowed to register that life partner so that that information is then placed on our database. Obviously, so the same information or the same process needs to be followed um, if there is a a customary marriage and then also so as a civil marriage as well. But in the instance of a life partner, we usually advise our members when we do these educational um, presentations to, um, to, to then register their life partner so that if the main member should pass away, the person left behind who they were living with, because remember now there is no uh, formal certificate or something in writing, not well, not always, then there is at least some sort of proof that the member has, has provided us with um, where they, they have registered that person as a life partner. And together with that information, we would then um, require the death certificate of the, the person, the main member who has passed away, and then ID uh, documents of both the member and the, uh, the applying spouse, and then also a bank form, which then the spouse has to provide us with. So obviously we need to know where we need to pay the pension to. So that, in a nutshell, is the document that we require. So it's obviously clear that a spouse does need to apply for this benefit. That is correct, Patricia. It is not automatically paid because we do find that that um, some members still do not register their spouses, or perhaps someone has been divorced and remarried. So maybe the information is also not updated on the system. So whoever remains behind, still whoever is the spouse registered registered spouse, still has to apply for this pension. Let me go to the lines. Uh, Colin is holding. Good evening, Colin. How are you? Good evening. How are you? Good, thank you, Colin. What's your question or comment? And good evening to your guest. You know, I've, I've worked for the government for 45 years. 
I've had a pension. Well, actually, in 2001, I took my pension money and I put it into a fund. And now I get a pension, but now I feel sorry for the ones who are still on the old pension scheme. They never went over to the, uh, um, what they call the annuity funds. Uh, They get an increase of most probably 1% or 2%. But now, the question is this, I would like to ask. Um, I heard on your radio station some time back, uh, if one of the spouses die, you get 40%. But I'm sure I just heard your guest saying 75%. No, I don't know uh, if one gets 75% or 40%. I know for a fact, I know for a fact, if both spouses live live, uh, their retirement out, uh, they get a full pension when one retires. But as soon as one passes away, it gets cut because you don't need uh, what they call um, two beneficiaries. And the old government pension used to cut that to 75. But I heard on your radio, and I would like your guest to clarify, uh, 40% and 75%, because I heard definitely on your station. Excellent, Colin. Let's allow Tracy to respond. Uh, Tracy, you can take it. Thank you, Patricia. Um, Colin, to respond to you. The spouse's pension, we pay 50% to the remaining spouse. Um, the, when I spoke about the 75% option is what we call the enhanced spouse's benefit. So this came into effect um, for members who retired after 31 October 2019. You have a choice of either, when you go on retirement, you can choose to say that my remaining, my spouse, should receive either 50% of what I'm going to earn as a pensioner, or if you choose the 75% option, because as government, what I said in the beginning is that, is that it's a um, it's a non-contributory benefit, it's an additional benefit. So we automatically then pay 50% to your remaining spouse once you as the main member pass away. If you choose the 75% option, it means you as a member at date of retirement, you then have to make a decision to say, um, am I going to take a reduced annuity or reduced um, gratuity, which is a reduced monthly pension or reduced lump sum, in other words, in layman's terms, to make provision for the additional 25% that we, you would like us to pay your spouse upon your demise. All right, so those are the two options that you do have. But anyone who retired prior to the 31st of October 2019 did not have the 50 or 75% option. It would uh, purely just be the 50% option. Thank you, Tracy. Now, Tracy, in terms of uh, the duration, um, what, uh, how long do spouses uh, remain beneficiaries of the pension? Patricia, they remain beneficiaries of the pension fund until the spouse passes away. Once the spouse passes away, that pension then stops. And to clarify again, and the reason why it stops is because it's an additional benefit and it's only payable to a spouse as long as he or she is alive. 
And I know uh, Colin asked this, uh, you know, the, the percentage split. Uh, but please, can you go again and explain to us the effects of increasing the spousal benefit from 50% to 75% of the member's monthly uh, p- pension? You'd like me to explain that again? Please do. All right, I'll do that. So the, the standard option is if a main member passes away, if that person, let me make a typical example, if that member was earning a thousand rand as a spouse, as a pension, while he was alive or she, they pass away, there's a spouse who remains behind, this spouse then applies for the pension and will then automatically qualify for 50%, which is 500 rand of that um, as a pension. But if the member retired and upon retirement, the member chose the 75% option. In other words, now, we automatically will be paying the spouse 50% of what he or she is earning. But if you, want to, if you say you would like your spouse to receive 75%, you as the member, you are going to carry that difference of, this, of 25%. Because remember, we're automatically giving 50%, right? So the 25%, you then, as a member, a date of retirement, in other words, before you go on retirement, you make a decision to say, once I pass away, I want my spouse to receive 750 rand as opposed to the 500 rand. Now, in order for your spouse to get the additional 250 rand in this example that I'm using, you then have to say, you either have to reduce your, your lump sum, because now we sort of have to keep that portion aside. And, I, and I'm saying this to, to make it easy for listeners to understand. So if you choose that 75% option, if you've chosen the 50% option, it then does not affect your calculations at date of retirement. You Let- receive what is due to you. Excellent. Let me go to our WhatsApp line um, where our A-teamers have asked questions. Remember, A-teamer, if you've got a question that you'd like to send via WhatsApp, the number is 0614 Evening, Patricia, um, and to your guest. I would like to know the, the um, form that I filled, actually, that was 2010 with regard to redress for previous discriminatory uh, pension fund, which I have not yet received any correspondence, any um, response from GEPF. Um, When I phoned actually last week, they told me the application or my application, they can see it on the system, came after 2010, I think 2012, of which they are still waiting for the bargaining council um, see what they can do. So I would like to know how long one can really wait or how long maybe one can really call GEPF to find out how far is the pension. Thank you very much. Zola from Cape Town. Thank you very much for the question, Zola. Uh, Tracy, could you please respond? Patricia, um, our listener um, was was asking us about past discriminatory practices. Um, That's not exactly the topic that we are discussing tonight, but I will just briefly um, respond to that. I would actually suggest that our listener perhaps send us an email 
um, with his details on there so that we can go and look at um, the application, when it came in, and whether this person then qualifies or not to apply for the past discriminatory practice um, benefit. Um, I did hear him saying that he received a letter to say that his application came late. Those applications actually closed in 2012, and if your application came after that date, um, there was also qualifying criteria. So if your application was late and he's received a letter, possibilities are that he might not qualify, but I don't want us to dismiss this completely, I would then perhaps, if, we, if there is a way, then ask them, the, the, the listener to please send all his details on email to our email address and then let us look at, at the, what is on our system and then respond to him um, in, the, you know, in the correct manner and give him all the details that is needed. Could you kindly uh, explain or describe the circumstances which could um, avert one from qualifying from the spousal pension? This question, Patricia, it's not pertaining to the spousal pension. Therefore, I'm saying, I'm asking if our, that caller is referring to a different type of pension, which is the past discriminatory. So, Tracy, n- not related to the guest that we've just had, but in general, are there any circumstances which may avert one from qualifying for a spousal pension? Um, yes, it would be if the marriage was not valid, or if that person was not actually married or divorced um, from their spouse at at date of death. That would be one of the reasons why they would would not qualify. Mm. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. If in the instance of someone applying as a life partner and there is insufficient information and they are unable to, um, to supply us with the information required in order for us to qualify them as a, as a life partner, then it could be one. There could be one or other reason why they would not qualify as a as a life partner if there is some pertinent information that is missing. Mm. And what happens if the beneficiary gets married to someone else uh, in community of property, and they have been a beneficiary of the spousal pension fund at the GPF? If you are in receipt of a, of a spousal pension. Your pension does not fall away if you remarry as the spouse. Now, anything that will happen is, is as the spouse, if receiving that pension, when you pass away, the pension stops. It then does not carry over to your new spouse. So you can get married more than once, and then that spouse could pass away. You would then still receive a portion of that person's pension. Mm, and 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 if the, the then the spouse subsequently passes away, then what? Does it then move the pen- to the next uh, to, to the next of kin or their new partner? No, Patricia, the pension then stops. If mm. the spouse is in receipt of the pension, passes away, that pension then stops mm. because it's only payable to the qualifying spouse at that at that stage. Tracy, thank you so very much for joining us this evening. Could you kindly tell us where people can get hold of these forms and uh, more information on uh, the GPF and the various uh, benefits that it offers its members, especially the spousal pension? Thank you, Patricia. Um, Our website address is www.gpf.co.za. And for email inquiries, it would be inquiries in lower caps at gepf.co.za. Um, I'd also like to read the call center number, which is 0800-117-669 for, for telephonic inquiries. Excellent. Thank you very much, Tracy, for joining us and shedding light on the spousal pension at the GPF.
Thank you so much, much, Patricia, for having me. Thank you. Thank now, you to our listeners as well. Excellent. Now, A-teamers, remember that the GPF has a regional client service centers in all nine provinces of South Africa and seven satellite offices designed especially for your needs. So if you need to find out more, the GPF has a national toll-free call center number, which is 800 117 Double six nine. Call this number, um, and all the calls to this number are free from any telecom line. You can also send emails to inquiries at gpf.co.za or visit the website um, that GPF has, which is www.gpf.co.za. The GPF's Twitter handle is at gpf underscore. SA. Uh, thank you very much uh, to Tracy Peters, who's client liaison officer at GPF, for joining us and shedding light on the Sparsal Pension.